Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. The start of the new year is always an amazing time where everyone makes lofty goals and then gives up on them by Valentine's Day. So as we kick off 2023 and people start to think about big goals, how can you ultimately be armed with ways to make them thrive. And now I'm not just talking about getting in shape or eating less or spending less money. I'm of course talking about the Secure Act 2.0. Welcome back to Perfectly Integrated. I'm Matt Ackerman. I'm so excited today to be joined by Jason Grants and Will Hackler. And they're going to talk to us a little bit about how retirement saving is not just going to be easier because of this new legislation, but more people are going to be incentivized to make this part of their regular lifestyle. Because if we can create real habits, that's when real change happens. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you both for joining us today on Perfectly Integrated. Thanks for having us. Awesome. For having us. Jason, I'm starting off with you, my friend. Talk to me a little bit about the why behind the SECURE Act 2.0. Why is this such an important new law? Sure. I mean, it was part of a bigger law called the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Um, which just got signed on December 29, 2022, and it's kind of a crazy it's it's a crazy collection of of um, of changes and rules. There's actually, I think, what was there? Will 92 separate changes that dealt with retirement plans. But actually, what it was was it was a bolt on to a pre, to the prior Secure Act, which was the Secure 1.0, which passed in 2019. Both of these paired together are incredibly important when it comes to the future of retirement plans, 401k plans, and pensions. In particular, it's mostly a grab bag, if you will, of every idea, mostly good ideas, some we don't like so much, but mostly good ideas that the industry, the regulators have had, and, and the whole overarching goal was to solve two major problems. And the first one is one we've talked about a lot, which is the coverage gap, which is basically the disparity between companies that offer a workplace retirement savings plan and the amount of people working at companies that don't offer a workplace retirement plan. And this and this body of rules has, has really addressed coverage in a major way. And, the, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but there really is an incredible amount of incentives and benefits to form, formation of new plans. And I, and I haven't seen anything in my career that's tackled coverage in the way that this particular body of rules has, has done so. And, and then the second is, of course, is that once you've solved the coverage gap, the other major problem is then participation rates. So now that there's, if we've solved the coverage issue where everyone has access, the next thing you have to then solve is make sure that, that all of the barriers, if you will, to using these plans are minimized or removed entirely. And, and I think that this, these two laws paired together has very significantly addressed both of those problems. So, Will, are you as excited about the Secure Act 2.0 as Jason is? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, one thing, uh, Matt, I'm going to tie this back to your other podcast with Jessica there, where she was talking about, you know, her experience with CrossFit and getting people to get started. Right. This pairs so well with that conversation because this is helping people get started. We talk about it in our industry about how it, people just don't save without that employer-sponsored retirement plan, or they, there's very little. So, you know, We call it in our world, the big bar, little bar. Little bar being 
Those that don't have a plan, very low rates of saving for retirement. Employers that do have it, very big bar, very big take up from the employees when they have that ability. So this is helping solve that. I need to start saving for retirement by making it available to the employers, giving the employers incentive to do it. It's amazing. You bring it back to that Jess mindset. Jess has that kind of coach's mindset to her. And she said to me, because I said to her, hey, wouldn't it be interesting if you took me through that process of getting in shape? I mean, I, if I'm a shape, it's round. So I think that working with Jess, she's got me to realize that like it's having that gym and having a place to go so that you kind of get the ball rolling is everything. And that's what hopefully this Curax doing here, Will, is it's giving us, getting that ball rolling in terms of savings. No pun intended with the round thing. But Jason, when you think about this, that mindset, is this going to, is this going to get that ball rolling for people? I don't see how it couldn't. You know, we've already, I mean, the 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 act itself is only, the ink is still wet on the, on the pages. And we've already, um, started talking to some new prospects and even some cases that were in process already, but weren't effective until 2023 about these new incentives. The clients are incredibly excited about it. The advisors are starting to talk to new that we work with are starting to talk to new prospects that maybe have been a little bit hesitant, but are now going, are now, you know, seeing the benefits and and some of the barriers for them to, to, to install a plan are being removed. So I I think this absolutely created a, a really, a really, um, great ecosystem for new plan formation in particular. At the end of the day, I think it's going to help people in a lot of different areas here too. So let's kind of go through some of those different areas, guys, and talk about it and break it down a little bit. Looking at retirees, people already in retirement, what does this do to help those retirees? So the ones that are retired already, there's going to be the RMD changes. So the required minimum distribution changes, pushing it out immediately, pushing it out to 73, down the road, pushing it out to 75. And the reason for the, you know, so that, you know, what I, when we talk about this, right, that costs the government money. And I put that in air quotes. It costs the government money by pushing out, taking that money back. So that's an expensive part of this bill and they need some offsets to that. So we'll talk about some of those offsets later with it. And then it's pushing it out And it's a very interesting concept of pushing out the move up to age 75 out 10 years. Why did they do that? Well, that's because it's outside the cost window for this, the revenue calculation for this bill. Now, is the motivation behind pushing that back? Is it because people are retiring later or, you know, because they have a longer time horizon as they're trying to make this uh, nest egg last for? Was that kind of the motivation here? Yeah. I I mean, I think what it really is, it's the longevity, right? It's the, you know, people are living a lot longer. The intent before was, hey, we've got to make them start taking money out, you know, to do that. We're going to force them to take out money. It's extending it out because now, was that all, all that fair? No, because it's like, if you extend it out, extend it out at least on the current mortality tables versus, you know, something that was created in 74, <laughs> 1974. <laughs> We're all living longer. What, Jason, what about for folks approaching retirement? You're sitting there, you're, you're probably trying to, to play a little catch up ball here. What, what, what does the, uh, the new law do for folks approaching retirement? Yeah. So, so there's one thing in the new law that's, that tackles that specifically, you know, they, you know, we've had this, um, this notion of what's called catch up, 
that's built into the current 401k system where people who are over age, you know, 50 and a couple of us on this call are about to turn 50 in 2023 and might be catch up eligible, meaning all of us. So <laughs> the, uh, the, the notion of catch up was always, you know, original concept was we're going to let you put in more than the um, statutory limits out of your own paycheck in order to catch up for the time when you were younger and you couldn't afford to save as much as you needed to. Well, what they've done now is they've, they've created a window and it's for people who are ages 60 to 63 years old, where during that um, four year window, the normal catch up, let's say the catch up is, you know, $6,500 extra per year for the, for that window of time that those people can actually save even more with catch up. So it creates almost a, like a, like a peak where you're saving along, saving along, and then all of a sudden you can muscle up for a few years and then it ends. So it gives those folks a, a really nice ability. And that actually does pair um, very nicely with what tends to be the highest earning years that people have in their careers, which are in their late fifties to early sixties. And perhaps it's at a time too, where, you know, they've kind of balanced some of that debt that they had. Uh, they, you know, maybe, uh, they've reached that age where, like you said, this is the high earning years. They can do a lot more in terms of savings, and this is a good time of their life that maybe they can play a little catch-up ball. So that's yeah. definitely positive. What about for savers? What about for those folks that are in those prime earning years, maybe a little bit before that, but they've conditioned themselves to save? Are there incentives for those savers here to continue to kind of to continue to to save here uh, and more for retirement? So that's an interesting one, Matt, because there is, there is this savers match credit that's coming out in a couple of years that's, you know, going to be available for that piece of it. The interesting thing on our side is there's no guidance for this. There's the technical side of it is how are we actually going to pull this off? How is the government actually going to deposit money into the plan for these people? And how are we supposed to know how to do that? It, it's it's a very cloudy, you know, it's theory, good, you know, execution. Ugh, we're going to need a little help. You know, Matt, when we um, when we met with the rest of the folks at our at uh, integrated a few weeks ago and we presented these, this topic, Will and I sat down to build out the presentation. And I said to him, I said, I think that the way that we need to do this is sort of focus on the when of some of these things, you know, meaning what's the immediate impact? What's the 2020? three impact, what's 2024 impact, and so on and so forth, because there's 92 changes and some of them are applicable this year, next year, some of them are already in effect from last year. Um, and paired with what Will just said, there's not um, a heck of a lot of guidance or um, regulation built around these rule changes. So uh, there's going to be a lot of figuring out that the, um, the retirement plan industry has to do in order to apply you know, if, if you will, the how to do all this good stuff. But, um, you know, that's that, you know, it's a good challenge to have because these are mostly very, very positive uh, changes that have been put in place. It's such an interesting group, the savers, because from an advisor's mentality, those are the people they're working with. And their perception from a lot of advisors who have spoken to me, they say, well, you know, this is all really interesting, but a lot of the people that this pertains to aren't always the people we work with. And I was like, well, it's sometimes like when you get a dense volume of information, you're reading a book, highlight the passages that make most sense for you, most sense for your clients. And there's lots of nuggets in here when you when you dig deep. Like you said, there's 92 pieces here that you're talking about. There's something that is uh, going to pertain to a lot of people that you work with. 
uh, fully agree. And, and, you know, when you talk about a savers mentality versus a non savers mentality, that's um, that's a personality trait. That's not something that, you know, you start off as a non saver and then you have an epiphany and you become a saver. You know, people who are savers tend to be savers from day one and people who are not savers have to be coaxed into saving, kicking and kicking and screaming. There has to be an incentive that 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 they feel in order to in order to put money away because they're, they're more spenders. Um, and then, you know, one of the things that the that the rule address was a specific type of saver, which was which was um, young people who are in particular young people who are coming out of college. Um, and, you know, when I when I finished college back in the mid 90s, I had a I had a loan that I had to pay off, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, a uh, I wasn't drowning in debt. I had a small debt that I had to pay off that I was able to get rid of in just a few years after I started working and earning income. But today's young folks, you know, I, I have kids who are teenagers, they're going to go off to college and they're, you know, we're putting away money for them now, but, uh, you know, they're probably still going to end up having pretty significant debt when they come out. They have to make a choice when they're earning income of what to do with that discretionary extra money that's not paying for their immediate bills, like, you know, um, food and, you know, rent, et cetera. And the choice of do I put this money into my 401k plan or do I pay down my student loan has been has become a real societal problem in the United States. And what what compounds that is if they make the choice to pay down the student debt, which is a perfectly reasonable choice, they forego some of the benefits that are in these retirement plans, such as the employer match. And so what this new rule has done is it's attempted to close the gap on that, which it says, we're not going to be able to get rid of your student debt. But if you do make the choice of, of paying off your student loan in lieu of saving in your 401k plan, we're not going to penalize you from receiving that employer match. And so this rule now allows um, young folks that are in this position to now to now provide their employers with evidence of their student loan repayment. And, and the employer gets to pretend, if you will, that that money was contributed to the 401k and then give the that employee what they would have otherwise gotten in a match. And that's a pretty neat benefit that's that's been built into into this rule. I like that one a lot in particular. And it seems that there's a lot of incentives for business owners to become more engaged with retirement saving including matching which frankly, you know, when I can remember the, you know, after the financial crisis, that was the 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 matching 401k was one of the first things that went out the window in 08 09. I can I can remember and I can remember asking you think this is ever going to come back and I can remember an HR person laughing at me. So I mean, I think this is hopefully going to change the tide there for business owners and will maybe incentivize more to uh get involved when it comes to matching uh, retirement savings. Yeah, certainly will. Certainly will help those new employers you know, establishing those, getting credits for that piece of it in the first few years of doing it, you know, it's going to be great for that side of it. You talk about it taken away when COVID hit and we had this, you know, this, what is it, the quiet quitting or whatever that occurred, mm-hmm. you know, right? People were, you know, uh, going out there and saying, hey, we need employers. We saw a lot of employers increase that matching, right? To attract mm-hmm. those employees because, you know, as I said for it, Hey, if you're already doing 3% in matching, going to four doesn't cost you more work. You just add that on. It's an increased benefit and you get to you know sell that off to your employees. And I always say that that's a much better thing than passing, uh, paying out another additional you know, percent in a cash bonus because 
you're not paying additional money on that. The workers comp, the payroll taxes, the, all those things that tied to payroll aren't there, but you could just increase that match piece, making it much more valuable for your employees. Enormous, enormous value to employees. And uh, another area, another group that's going to be impacted by this are, are parents, to your point, Jason, that are trying to help their kids save for retirement, save for college. You know, we talked about college uh, and how much more expensive it's gotten, you know, Jason, all three of us probably were able to pay off that college debt when we were still in our 20s, hopefully our early 30s. Now they're getting out of school and they're paying debt back, you know, till they're in their 50s, you know, so it makes saving harder. So parents are starting these 529s. Talk to me about some of the things that have done, especially when it comes to 529s. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be happy to. I mean, it's real. this is not really our area where we spend a lot of time because it's not dealing with the qualified plan side. Right. But, you know, the one takeaway I took it as a parent was, you know, the 529 plan, if you end up, um, if you were a good saver as a, as a, as a parent, you did have money put away for your children or your children didn't use the 529 and there's a, there's money left over, which is a really nice problem to have. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, instead of, you know, uh, having to take it out at, at, at penalty or leave it in there for some theoretical, uh, potential future child that might, might come around that you want to then gift that money to, um, there's now a provision here that lets that money get recharacterized. Basically, it gets recharacterized as a Roth IRA and can be repurposed from college savings to to retirement money. So um, mechanically, you know, again, you know, we'll have to figure out how that gets done. And, you know, I'm sure they'll, you know, where there's a where when whenever there's money to be grabbed, the industry always figures out how to do it. It's just a matter of, you know, when. But, uh, you know, I think that's a nice little provision um, for the responsible savers who just didn't actually use all their money. And it's, I think there's this mentality as a parent, well, my kid's going to get that baseball scholarship or that uh, golf scholarship. Hey, there's a lot of golf scholarships or, or you know, he's going to get a scholarship or or maybe he decides he doesn't want to go to college at all. And then there's this amount of money that you squirreled away that you're kind of left shrugging about. And I think this at least gives a mechanism, hopefully, for for you to then do something and say, and put more towards your retirement. So from that perspective, I found it, found it really, really interesting. So you started this by saying there's some good ideas in here and there's some bad ideas. <laughs> Were there any bad ideas that jumped out to you or things that you think are going to get filtered away? Anything you want to talk about on that bad idea side? I found that really well, compelling. No, I, I mean, let's cover, you know, we'll go back to one thing you talked about, right? Okay. The save, the the student debt piece, the matching piece of it, that's going to be really hard for that HR payroll person, you know, to deal with. Right. Because now you got to go collect some more information you know, to do stuff. I, I feel bad for the HR payroll people in that scenario. So, yes, it's good. You know, theory wise execution, it's going to be some trouble. Like, you know, hopefully we'll find some ways to you know figure that piece out. Especially since They're month to month, people are not paying the same amount every month in student loan debt. You know, they may have the best of intentions in January, but by November, they're paying $38 because it's the minimum amount payment that they yeah. could possibly make. There, yeah. There's um there's a uh, there's an idea. I don't know if I call this necessarily a bad idea or perhaps it was an intended consequence or an unintended consequence, but um, they created a new type of retirement plan called a starter K, um, which you know, from a implementation and from a, you know, getting it up and running perspective, it's a, you know, we already have the simple IRA in our, in, in, in our um, landscape, you know, which is intended to be a uh, small business retirement plan solution. You also have safe Harbor 401ks. You also have the simple 401k, which is actually a qualified plan version of the simple IRA. So, you know, what's the purpose of creating this, like this new type of, of, 
beginner 401k plan product. Um, I actually, I think that what it was is it's intended to kind of be a competitive vehicle to try and maybe put to rest the notion of the state run retirement plan mandates uh, or even really simple IRAs because you can recharacterize with this new law. You'll be able to now do mid-year conversions from simple IRAs into a starter 401k and the starter 401k doesn't require any employer contribution into it. So it creates a vehicle that basically creates a, a an ERISA version of a, of a qualified payroll deduct savings plan with the same statutory limitations that exist in a personal IRA. So I'm not sure that that's a great idea or a great design. We'll see whether or not it's got major uptake or not. I could be wrong. It could be, it could be basically the first, you know, the first bang of the gong on the, uh, the death of the state run retirement plan in the simple IRA. But um, I'm not sure I love that idea particularly too much, but it's in there. So, I mean, there's a few of those that are, that are inside this rule inside this um, that, you know, um, I was drawn really heavily to and a few that I was sort of like, well, not sure I like that. It feels to me there's a lot of flavors of ice cream in here. It's, you know, yeah. it, when you're talking about 92 different provisions that are kind of packed inside of here, like I was digging in the other day and talking to an advisor and, you know, they work with a lot of firefighters. There's provisions in here for for that. So so it, it's it it sounded so engaging because I feel like if you do enough digging here, you can find stuff for your clients. If you're smart, you can find things that can help create great conversations with your clients here and hopefully, um, you know, get more saving to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, we didn't even talk about the big change here, which is, you know, the, the there's major tax incentives here in place for companies that don't mm -hmm. have plans. Um, it changed the pre-existing um, startup credit, startup uh, tax credit, which was basically before was uh, 50% of the, of 50% of eligible first year costs to be refunded as a tax credit for up to the first three years of the plan. But there's like a convoluted calculation that you have to kind of go through um, to figure out what that credit's going to be. Um, they, they tweak that so that you don't have to worry about it being 50% anymore. It's now up to a hundred percent. So potentially you get a, uh, you know, a, a 35 person company that doesn't have a plan and they start a new 401k plan and their out of pocket expenses as an employer are, let's call it, you know, eight, $9,000 a year or something like that. Um, 5,000 of that's going to be fully refundable to them each year for the first three years. I think that's a really nice incentive to kind of make this a quote unquote, mostly free type uh, setup for, for companies that are establishing plans. And then, but they coupled that, they doubled down on that with my favorite provision that came out in the new rules, which is they're now also allowing up to the first $1,000 of employer contributions to be fully refunded as a credit on the taxes at the end of the year. So I just had a call earlier today where the client is, um, you know, was, was basically responding to employee demand to have a 401k plan and was not, was not interested necessarily in putting in an employer contribution. And, you know, I could see from their census that they were probably going to end up having some testing problems and, Right away, I was like, well, in the new law, I don't know if you know this, incentivizes you to put at least $1,000 in for each person because you're going to get it all back from the government anyway. Um, and we kind of talked through what that meant and how it, how it would work. And uh, they, they grabbed right onto it. So I, I think um, that's a really nice change that's in here too. Um, and you're right. It's also got some little nuances on, you know, how firefighters can benefit, you know, the creation of an emergency savings fund. That's, uh, you know, another component of this. And there's a whole slew of other ones. We're never going to get to all of them on this call, but there, there's a lot of good stuff in there.
And emergency savings is interesting too, because I think there's a lot of people that have mentally said, I am not, can't say for retirement right now, what happens if we got to replace this roof or what happens when the boiler breaks? And they have this mentality that, you know, well, I can't borrow from that. I've heard horror stories about borrowing from my 401k or borrowing from my retirement savings. I think by making some of that easier in the, in, in the mechanics, what you've created at least is to change that mentality of spenders and savers. I think it's, you know, Jason, when you, when you said that earlier, that really resonated when you can change the people's mentality and get them to not think about retirement savings as an extra, but rather an essential, then all of a sudden, or something that's automatically happening, then all of a sudden, you know, it's funny. I mean, Will was talking about it earlier about the, the level of savings that exists for for people who don't have a workplace savings plan option versus the ones that do. And it's vastly different. And it's the automation of the savings process that is the real secret benefit of 401k plans. It's because it comes out of the people's paycheck. It comes out before they can spend it. It comes out before they see it. And if they start saving in that way, even before, you know, from day one of, of, of working, then that they're always working off of their net pay for for their living expenses, and then before they know it, you know that person's accumulated a pretty nice nest egg in their retirement plan. It's that automation process. It gets rid of all those behavioral barriers, you know, all that inertia, procrastination, you know, all those decisions that people get overwhelmed by are all are all mitigated by automating the process. Um, it's it, it, it's a benefit that we talk about a little bit on our side, but it's really it's the to me it's the secret sauce of why four hundred one k plans work. So, Will, we had Secure Act 1.0, now 2.0. Do you expect more legislation, more innovation from here? Do you think there's um, you know, more opportunities to continue to get more people to save in a more automatic way? I don't think we're going to get anything as big as this for a long time, Matt. <clears throat> I, I said to Sam, who just, just started with us, I said, you're going to remember this as your career started with this law. Like this is that kind of law, right? It's very sweeping from here. Um, you know, I think if we're going to get more things, it's going to be on the fringes. It's going to be technical fixes. It's going to be little things. I can't imagine the, you know, secure 3.0 being A, being anytime soon or B, being as much, covering as much stuff as this did. I mean, this was, you know, this was great. Um, we had we had some um, some senators and Congress Congress people who were retiring in 2022 who had been major uh, proponents of retirement plan legislation and the retirement plan led landscape in general, and I think that they wanted to make sure that this got done before they retired as part of like a uh, exclamation point on their great careers. So I, I do agree with Will. I don't know that we're going to get a um, this type of of broad changing uh, anytime soon but you know that said you know every four to six years you know the, the somebody rips open the the package and tries to throw some duct tape around it so i i think you know give it another three four five years something else will pop out and we'll all have to figure out how to deal with it well this has been an awesome conversation as everyone knows that listens to perfectly integrated i always end with a question from my son cj um, so the way we do this is we sit around the kitchen table. Uh, usually it's a dinner. I tell them what's going on in my life. And I say, Oh, I'm doing a podcast tomorrow. Um, and my five-year-old usually sits there and is not interested in this conversation at all. Um, so, but this will be the first time we have a question from Ryan. 
Uh, he is five. Uh, and I was telling him a little bit about both you guys. And uh, Jason, there's more a question for you, but will you get the follow-up question? His question was Rutgers. Why Rutgers? So you got to understand, we are a uh, very blue house, Seton Hall. He goes to all the Seton Hall games with me. He is a huge Seton Hall fan, and he's really been burned, Jason, by by his father and his father's interest in sports. So his question to you is Rutgers? That was his I'll, question. I can I can answer that by telling you the reason was not sports. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'll, I'll explain that to the five year old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, back in back in the uh, in the early nineties, Rutgers the Rutgers Scarlet Knights were not, and they still really aren't today, known for their uh, for their great uh, you know basketball or football programs. Although they've been good in some other areas too, I and mean, we historically mm-hmm. been really good in like you know women's soccer and some other some other uh, some other sports, but. Um, so, you know, back when I was growing, when I was growing up and I was a kid, you know, I, my, I came from a blue collar household. My parents, uh, my, my, my parents really weren't the type that were going to, you know, send me on, you know, 50 different college visits and interviews. We went to a few Rutgers was local. I only lived about 25 minutes away. Um, and when that, uh, and during that period, so, you know, I, I had family members that had gone to Rutgers, so I was familiar with it. Uh, my brother went there. My my cousin had was a Rutgers alumni at that point. And um, when we went and we visited a number of schools, um, it's funny. At the time, Cook College, which is a school of science and agriculture, mm-hmm. which is actually where my degree is from. It's from it's from Cook. Cook doesn't as a, doesn't exist as a college now. Now it's just a campus of Rutgers University. But back then, they had a major there called sports management. And my one of my cousins is a professional NHL hockey agent. And I actually had these grant this grand vision of, oh, I'm going to go become a sports management major. I'm going to go to law school and then I'm going to go work for my cousin Jay and I'm going to be an agent. Um, And of course, then I went to went to school and I did the curriculum for about one semester. And I said, I'm not doing all this. And I switched economics. (laughs) And four years later, I came out and I became a pension geek. So, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, that, that, that's kind of what drove me to Rutgers. And uh, I haven't looked back. Oh, see, this is still a a blue state. And in this house, very blue, as I mentioned, Will he didn't understand why you would hire somebody who it's very weird. I had the same problem happen to me once. Um, I, I have friends who went to IU and couldn't understand. Like I met somebody who went to Purdue and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. And like my wife had to explain to me, Purdue's a great school. And I was like, oh, well, see, I've been burned by Indiana people who told me like Purdue is terrible. So well, well now, f- now five-year-olds are questioning why you're, you're, why you hired me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could tell Ryan, he's not the first one to question, you know, hiring Jason, <laughs> but uh, no, you know, uh, very lucky to have Jason, very happy to have him with us. Um, you know, we've been, we were talking for a few years about how we could make this work and it's it worked out great. I'm so happy to have him so happy that he chose us for the team um, because it helps me, helps us expand our reach for it. Right. I, I was cap, tapped out, couldn't possibly do more calls than I was doing. And uh, Jason stepped in and helped out and we are, you know, as you probably heard from this, you know, we're very much aligned in our agreement and principles on how these plans should be run and what should be done and how we operate. And it's been a great extension uh, in, you know, to have Jason on the team. 
And as Ryan said, get some people from New Jersey together. Good things happen. Well, I kind of edited that a little bit. He didn't precisely said that. He said, at least he's from New Jersey. That's what the five-year-old <laughs> said. So, but guys, thank you both so much. It's been a really great conversation. We got to do this more often. Thank you both so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having us, Matt. It was great. Anytime, Matt. Thanks. And thank you to our audience. It's been another great episode of Perfectly Integrated. If you have questions, hopefully we have some more answers. Feel free to reach out to us on social media. Maybe you've got a guest in mind, or maybe you'd be a great guest to join us on the podcast. We'd love to have you. Hey, any, for, for all of us here at Integrated Partners, I'm Matt Ackerman. Have a great day. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial.